we celebrate the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, which is somewhat of a strange feast to celebrate. We celebrate an uh, instrument of torture and death. But the celebration of the Exaltation of the Cross has a twofold reality for us because the cross is meaningless without the resurrection. And so as we honor the exaltation of the cross, we are reminded of the power of God who resurrected Jesus, who willingly suffered and died for us, that we might have life eternal. We also commemorate on this feast day of the exaltation of the cross, that on August 18, 320 AD, Saint Helena discovered the true cross of Christ in Jerusalem and brought it with her back to Rome, which is why the relic of the true cross is in Rome and not fully and not in Jerusalem. And so what Constantine did when he, when he became the emperor is that he built over the spot of the empty tomb a chapel called the Anastasis, and then he built in the place further away where Jesus would have undergone his, some of his tortures, and uh, he built a, cha a, a basilica, which was called the Martyrum, and then he built in between the two a shrine called the Calvarium. Constantine enshrined the places of our Lord. He, with our Lord's passion. He built churches on top of them. So if you ever go, and, and unfortunately the church that he built was destroyed by the Persians. It was rebuilt by Modestus, but then that was destroyed by the Muslims. And so the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem was rebuilt by the Crusaders in 1149. So if you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you are entering into an historic building that was in, in 1149. And the building enshrines those spaces. If you go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, immediately to the right, there are steps to go up. You climb the steps of, that has covered the Hill of Calvary, and so thereby preserving it. And then you go to the altar, and under the altar there is an opening where you can touch the spot where the crucifix was placed. It's really ingenious of, of Constantine to, to, to figure out, or to decide, to enshrine those spaces, because by doing so, he preserved them for all of us to continue to go and to pilgrimage there. But one of the things which is curious in the first reading from the Book of, the, uh, Book of Numbers is that what is going on here? First of all, can you believe, first of all, the Israelites, my goodness gracious, God himself is giving them bread from heaven, manna. And what do they say? We're tired of it. We've been eating it too long. Get us out of this place. Can you believe, but before we're too critical, how often do we criticize or complain against God for what he has given to us? We wake up in the morning. That is a blessing that we receive from the Lord, but how many of us wake up in the morning and say, oh, another egg, another pain, oh my goodness. I mean, we have to rejoice in the gifts that God has given to us. 
But then it seems rather strange that Moses would have to build or uh, create a golden, ser a bronze serpent and put it on a stick for people to look at. That seems to be contrary to the commandments which says you shall not build a graven image. But what Moses had to, the reason that Moses had to do this is because in order for the Israelite who was bitten by the serpent to be healed, they had to look upon that which destroyed them, that which was taking their life, which in that this case was a serpent. So Jesus says to Nicodemus in the Gospel, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so, the, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The last holdout the devil has had against humanity was death. And so therefore, Jesus had to die on the cross, be lifted up, placed on a hill of Calvary, which could be seen over the wall of Jerusalem city, of the city. And so therefore, people had to look upon death. When you look upon the crucifix, my brothers and sisters, you are looking upon death. That is what you look at. Jesus died on the cross. But death is not the end. It is by looking at that which destroys us that we recognize that Jesus came that we might have life. That he destroys death by his very own death so that we might live forever and restore to us the life of grace lost by original sin. So my brothers and sisters, a strange feast we celebrate today, acknowledging uh, a weapon of destruction, a stumbling block, as St. Paul refers to it, to the Greeks and the Gentiles, a difficulty to comprehend, um, to try to put it in more, a better understandable, a bit more understanding for us. I mean, it would be like if we were worshiping, we were honoring today the electric chair, or we were honoring the noose, or the lethal injection. I mean, that was what, this was capital punishment of the Romans. And here we are exalting it, we're promoting it, we're, we're, we're symbolizing it, and even wearing it on our, on our own person. It's, it's mind-boggling if you're not a person of faith, and not realizing that what this instrument of torture and death has done for you and me. And so the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, my brothers and sisters, does not manifest the doom and gloom of death itself, but it manifests for us the true love of God, that he would suffer, he would die for us, that you and I might have life. And sadly, like the Israelites in the desert, you and I often don't appreciate this gift of our Lord. And so on this day of the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, let us be renewed in, the, in our understanding and our appreciation of God's tremendous love for us, and let us always rejoice in the life that he has given to us, this life that begins here on earth, but continues for all eternity, God willing, with the angels and the saints and God forever. God bless you. Let us now offer our needs and petitions to our Heavenly Father.